You are listening to the Tom Eliff Podcast. Tom Eliff pastored for 42 years and was also the president of the International Mission Board and the Southern Baptist Convention. He is the founder of Living Word Publications. Now, here is Tom Eliff. Let me ask you, if you will, please, now, you have your Bible in hand, stand with me. Galatians chapter 3, chapter 3, verse 1, the book of Galatians, we're thinking about the descriptions of the deceived, the descriptions of the deceived. In a few moments, we'll talk about how they were deceived and then why the Apostle Paul uh, uses these various phrases to describe them. O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you that you should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ has been evidently set forth, crucified among you. This only would I learn of you, received ye the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith. Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain, if it be yet in vain? He therefore that ministers to you the Spirit and works miracles among you, does he it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Even as Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him for righteousness. Know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. So then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that continues not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident, for the just shall live by faith. And the law is not of faith, but the man that does them shall live in them. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Descriptions of the deceived. That's the title of the message. Began this morning, concluded this evening. Father, I pray that um, as we open our heart to you this evening, that we would sense you moving mightily in our lives, but also in this place. I pray, Heavenly Father, that at the invitation time, you would find at the altar each person who would want to cast off, want to repent of the deception of believing that either you could be saved by your works or that you could even be kept in good standing with, uh, we could be kept in good standing with you by our works. And so, Father, it will only be because your Holy Spirit glorifies your Word and Christ, our Savior, and works in our lives, gives us ears to hear, eyes to see. And so, Father, we're trusting that you would do your work in our lives this evening, and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Would you be seated, please? What is it that would cause a Christian who at the point of conversion came out of terrible sin. And all sin is terrible, but let's just imagine here's a person whose life was steeped in the most gross kind of sin and immorality. What would cause a person like that who has experienced the grace of God, the love and forgiveness that comes through Jesus Christ, 
to come to a point sometime later in life where he or where she is hard, cold, critical, judgmental, legalistic, and a person who has lost that winsome grace of God which makes others want to trust in Jesus. Whatever it is that causes that to occur is exactly what happened to the Christians in Galatia, for that is what they had become. Now, the story of their conversion is a remarkable story. When Paul writes to the Christians in Galatia, he is writing to people in several cities because the letter of Galatians was written to several churches in the region of Galatia. These people were not religious in the sense that you and I think of religious because they did not have either Judeo or the Christian faith as their background. These were heathen. These were the Gentiles. These were what Jews would call the barbarians. And the Apostle Paul had gone into those cities where they practiced all kind of idolatry, and he had shared the very simple message of the gospel. What is that message? It is that Christ died for sinners. Jesus, the Son of God, having never sinned, still went to the cross, died on the cross to pay for our sins, rose from the grave, is alive today. And when the Apostle Paul preached that message of the gospel, people's hearts went out to Christ in faith. People wanted to receive Christ by faith as their Savior, and so they repented of sin and they turned to Christ. But now, what happened in their lives later on is very similar to what may have happened in the hearts and the lives of some people here this evening. You see, it wasn't very long before some religionists showed up in their communities. They were legalists, and that word religion, I have said on more than one occasion, means re, that is a return, a religion, a return to the law, a return to bondage, literally. And so these people who are called Judaizers, knowing very well the faith of the Jews being steeped in the Old Testament law, these people begin to press upon these new Christians who had repented of sin and were just basking in the wonderful grace of God. They begin to tell them about all of the laws of God. Now as they begin to tell them these things, these people begin to find great comfort in just picking out one law or another and saying why we need to be doing this and we need to be doing this and we need to be doing this. And, and the more they focused on the law and the less they focused upon the Lord Jesus, the more they began to adopt a kind of faith that we call by their name Galatianism. Now, Galatianism says, in fact, a person is saved by the grace of God, but a person keeps or maintains that salvation by keeping the laws as we read of them in the Old Testament. Now, this is a very great problem because, in essence, any time you say the way to maintain your salvation is by keeping the law, you are, in essence, saying the same thing as the person says when they repeat this. 
you're saved by doing the works of the law. So to make a difference whether you put the works of the law as something responsible for salvation or whether you say, I have to do it to keep my salvation, you're still saying, something I do will keep me saved. And that's called Galatianism. This morning in the message, I outlined for you the three threats to the simple Christian message, and one of them is the threat of Galatianism. Now, where we see that practiced in contemporary Christian circles is among those who are, have received Christ as their Savior, but maybe they have taken a course, or maybe they've gone to a conference, or maybe they've sat in a class, or maybe their preacher has preached to them something like this, and they've said, boy, you know, you need to go back and really become a student of the law, and uh, nothing wrong with that. But they have become such students of these laws, they have picked out some that, that they like in particular. And they have adopted a certain type of lifestyle. There's some things they say a person ought to do, some things they say under no circumstances should a person ever be involved in doing. And that lifestyle may even involve their devotional life or their life of giving. It may involve their diet. It may involve their dress. It may involve their music. But they have assimilated all of this into what has become their code for the Christian life. And each day, if they live by their code, they go to bed thinking, I sure have impressed Jesus. But if they violate that code, maybe they didn't spend quite enough time in reading the Bible. Maybe they participate in something that they, they know that they just really feel bad about. They go to bed at night, they say, God, I sure let you down. I'm sure not a very good Christian whatsoever. And the sad thing is, they also have begun to measure other people by their standards. And what they're saying is, unless you believe exactly like I believe about all these issues, about all these laws, if you don't believe just like I believe, then I really wonder if you're a Christian at all. Now, that is Galatianism. It is hard, it is cold, it is judgmental, and it will take the fire out of your evangelism. Because what you're saying is, I, I don't want to mess around with just telling people the simple message of the gospel. What I want to do is to tell them about Jesus and hope they'll get saved and then load them down with all of these rules that I have developed for the way Christians ought to live. Now, that is Galatianism. Romans was written to contradict the idea that you could be saved by keeping the law. It is by grace that we're saved. We read in the book of Romans. James is written to contradict the idea that the law is unimportant, for in the book of James we read that it's by the works that our faith is evident or brought to completion. Galatians is written to contradict the error of Galatianism, which says, trust in Jesus, you'll receive God's cleansing grace, you're on your way to heaven. But to stay on the road to heaven, you've got to live the kind of life that we outline for you. And it could be anybody's outline. Any, the last, last uh, meeting you went to, the last preacher you heard, the last lesson you learned, the last conference or institute or seminar or whatever you were in, you say, yep, if you don't do that, you're not really hanging on to the Christian life. And so that is the reason Galatians is written. What I am saying is that the Apostle Paul makes it very clear that Christians after their salvation, 
can become deceived about what is involved in being saved. So much so that what they tell others is required to become a Christian is far different than what they experienced when they trusted in Jesus as their Savior. They are deceived. And so we've looked in this third chapter of Galatians at the, the description of the deceived. We notice in verse 1, for instance, that they are foolish. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul says you're not using your good sense. You're not living up to your appropriate nature, to the knowledge that you have. He says it's like you were bewitched or, or hypnotized. You're, you're not acting according to your nature. You're foolish. In verses 2 and 4, he says you are forgetful. You've forgotten your own spiritual pilgrimage. You're expecting other people to be more, more mature at their conversion than you were at your conversion. And so you are a forgetful person. In verse 3, he says, you are a fleshly person. You believe that you're going to perfect your salvation by something you do in the flesh. You're magnifying your capacities. You're magnifying your own abilities. Now, having simply reviewed uh, what I shared with you this morning, let's look then at three more characteristics, these descriptions of the deceived. And what I want you to see most of all this evening is that when you begin as a believer in Christ to add rules to what's involved in being saved, you will end up being a false prophet. You will end up preaching a false doctrine. Let me give you an, let me give you an illustration of this. There are some churches, uh, churches in this town, and they would call themselves New Testament churches and evangelical churches. What they will say to you is, well, it takes God's grace to save you, but as a, as a part of being saved, there are some works that are involved, and those works are baptism and the Lord's Supper. And so they say, you know, you receive Christ by faith, but to really get it, you have to be baptized. And then to really keep it, you need to make sure that you show up at church every week and participate in the Lord's Supper. That's an evidence that you've purified your life, that you want to live for God that week. There are other churches in this town then that have taken that a step forward. And they would say, no, it's not just baptism and the Lord's Supper. There are actually seven sacraments. And it's not just that these are a way of showing other people what's happened in your life. These are the way you have of staying saved. For instance, uh, not meaning any criticism of anybody, but simply telling you the truth, in the Roman Catholic Church, Communion is very important because it is at communion that you literally, on a weekly basis, ingest Jesus. When the priest says, hoc est corpus, or this is the body, what he believes is that transubstantiation takes place, that that wafer literally becomes the body of Jesus, that that, that uh, juice literally becomes the blood of Jesus, and that you for another week are ingesting Jesus, that you are taking Jesus inside you. You say, that is absolutely ridiculous. How could anybody believe that that could happen and that you would need to do that every week in order to stay saved? You see, that is just the progression of Galatianism. You start out adding a little bit of the works of the flesh 
They become, first of all, a picture, then they become necessary, and then they become absolute essentials, and then they become rules so much so that after a while you feel, well, if I do all the rules all the week, I'm going to go to heaven whether my heart is in it or not, as long as I just perform. You say, oh, I would never do that. Well, now, wait a minute. What about to those of you who say, well, I made a pledge I was going to read a chapter of the Bible a day. Whether my heart is in it or not, I'll just read it so I can check it off. You say, well, shouldn't I be disciplined? Shouldn't I do that? Yes, I'm going to talk about that at the close of the service, about where that discipline and where that direction comes from. But let me tell you something. You cannot say just because you have perfunctorily read a certain amount or given a certain amount or done a certain thing during a period of day, God, I am now in good standing with you. You do not buy God's standing with your works. You understand what I'm saying? You can't buy good standing with Him by what you do. When you receive Christ by faith as your Savior, He gives you, listen, His unconditional love. There's not anything you're going to do to make Him love you more. There's not anything you're going to do to make Him love you less. You say, but don't you need to have the fear of going to hell in order to be a good Christian? Listen, Fear may motivate you for a little bit, but I want to tell you something. Over the long haul, you will never do it very well or very long if all you have is the fear that you're going to go to hell if you don't do it. And besides that, the Scripture says that when He saves you, He saves you eternally, and He loves you with an everlasting and an unconditional love. Doesn't mean He loves everything that you do, and it doesn't mean that He will not discipline you and me when we are disobedient. But I believe that the world has been saturated with what I would call Galatianistic preaching. I hear preachers and I hear teachers who, who, as Jesus said about the Pharisees, load men with burdens too heavy to be borne. And people then begin living out their Christian life in a religionistic, legalistic way. They become hard, cold, judgmental. They become very pious. They look down their noses at other people. If they don't look like they do, listen to what they listen to, eat what they eat, live like they do, believe what they do, attend what they do. If they don't do all that, everybody looks down their nose and says, well, they must not even be saved. Listen, you're not saved by what you do. You're, not, you're saved because of what Jesus did on the cross. You say, Brother Tom, what about separated living? Brother Tom, what about the holy life, the righteous life? Well, we're going to get to that. But let's look at three more descriptions of the deceived. First of all, we've said they're foolish, they're forgetful, they're fleshly. Now look at number four. If you are a person who is involved in Galatianism, as I have described it, you are faithless. You are faithless. Now, where does the Scripture say that? Look with me at verse 5. Here the Apostle Paul says, He therefore that ministers to you the Spirit and works miracles among you. How did that happen? Does he it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Even as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now, look down at verse 9. So then they which are of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham. Now, turn with me to Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. And I want to read to you about Abraham. People say, but Abraham, he was in the Old Testament. That's right. His faith was in the Jesus, the Messiah who was to come. 
Ours is looking backward at the Messiah who has come. But now notice what he says here in Romans chapter 1, beginning with verse 4. What shall we say then that Abraham our father, and notice, as pertaining to the flesh, in other words, the ability of my body to do enough good works to get saved is what he's saying. As pertaining to the flesh has found. For if Abraham, now I want to remind you that Abraham is called the father of the faithful. If Abraham were justified by works, he has whereof to glory. He could, he could brag, but not before God. For what says the Scripture? Here's what the Scripture says. Abraham believed God. This is a quote out of Genesis 15. Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now, to him that works is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. You know what he's saying here? If you could get to heaven by working, by doing good works, you are getting to heaven because God is paying off a debt. He owes you heaven for your good works. Now, you're not going to get into heaven by making God a debtor. But to him that works, the reward is not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him who works not, but believes on him that justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Now, Brother Tom, are you saying that if I just have faith in Jesus, I don't have to live like a Christian? I don't have to live a separate and holy lifestyle, don't have to worry about my behavior? No, I didn't say that. Because while you're not saved by what you do, neither are you saved by a faith that doesn't in your heart produce good works. That's what the book of James is about. We sing trust and obey. In the Scripture, there's no difference between trust and obedience. When you trust, you will obey. It is a heart, it is a change of your heart. You're not obeying, though, out of a sense of legal obligation. You are obeying because God has changed your heart. And there is within you that inner wellspring, that desire, that river of life flowing up within you, an eagerness to keep the law of God. Not in order to get saved, but because you love the one who has saved you. Now, a person who says that I have to hang on to my salvation by works is a person who has set the value of faith aside. Now, Colossians chapter 2, verse 6, here's what it says. As you have received Jesus Christ the Lord, so walk ye in him. Which means the way you got saved is the pattern for the way you were to live. How did you get saved? By God's grace, you just simply believed your faith. That is to be the pattern for your daily walk. Simple faith in Jesus Christ. And so what he's saying here, not only is a person who's Galatianistic, saying you, you, you stay in right standing with God by doing good works, not only is that person foolish and forgetful and fleshly, that person is faithless. That person has set aside his faith. Now, the interesting thing about that person is that generally an individual like this knows a great deal about religion. They can talk to you about the things of God. They can talk to you about the Bible. But when they talk to you, their talk is dead talk. It doesn't produce life. It doesn't produce in your heart an eagerness to follow God. It simply loads you down with more burdens to be born. 
and an inability to know how to carry out all that God wants you to do. Faithlessness. All right, let's look at number five. A person is not only foolish, forgetful, fleshly, and faithful, uh, faithless, you are also foundationless. You are foundationless. Now, what do you mean by that, Brother Tom? I mean that as far as Galatianism is concerned, saying that you're saved by grace and kept by works, as far as Galatianism is concerned, there is no foundation for that either in the Scriptures or in practice. You will not find a place in the Scripture where God says that is the way that it ought to be. There's no foundation for that. You say, but by the way, doesn't the Old Testament talk about the law and the importance of the law? Yes. But let me remind you that the law of the Old Testament was there as a reminder of the sinfulness of mankind as well as of the sinlessness of a holy and righteous God. God didn't give us the law and then say, oops, I made a mistake. It didn't, it's not working very well. Maybe I ought to have a new way. I'll send my son and people can be saved. But by trusting in him, I'll let him die on the cross and be raised from the grave. This is not just some newer way that God has of trying to get us right with him. The law of the Old Testament and the life of the New Testament go hand in hand. One was given to show our sinfulness against the righteousness of God. The other is given to us to show us that the only way to get to God is through Jesus Christ who is the Lamb of God. You say, is that even in the Old Testament? Absolutely. Why do you think that in the tabernacle later in the temple that the Ark of the Covenant, the box there in the Holy of Holies, which had the law inside of it, why do you think that it was covered with what? It was called the mercy seat, and it was only after the priest shed, took the shed blood and sprinkled it on the mercy seat that he could have communion with God. It was a picture of the fact that it was going to take something more than the law to get us right with God. It was going to take the mercy and grace of God. And so there's no foundation for what you believe. If you believe you keep your faith, you hang on to your, to your salvation by doing good works, there's no foundation for that. Let's look at verses 7 and 8. Know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In you shall all nations be blessed. Who has the foundation? Why, are those who believe in God, not those who believe in the works of the flesh, those who believe in God. They have a foundation in the Scripture for what they believe. Now, look up here for just a moment. You say, Brother Tom, why are you going on about this? First place, because the Scripture does. In the second place, you would not believe how many people, even in this congregation this evening, as sad as I am to say it, as, as horrible a thought as this might be, as amazing as this might seem to some of you, if I were a person, I used to have a friend who said, if I was a betting man, I'd bet. Well, if I was a betting man, I'd bet. But I will guarantee you that unless this congregation is different than most congregations, there are still, in spite of this message and the message this morning and all the preaching from this pulpit, there are still dozens of people here who believe you're saved by what Christ did on the cross, you put your trust in Him, and you even say you believe in once saved, always saved. But down deep in your heart, you believe that you really could do something 
and lose your salvation. You know what that is? That is Galatianism. You're saying that your behavior has something to do with whether you maintain your salvation. And the book of Galatians is written to refute that. It may be a cute idea to you, but there's an entire book in the New Testament that is written to refute the idea that you can hang on to your salvation by the way you behave. So, preacher, what about behavior? You've never heard me say that the behavior is not important. We're going to get to that. I'm just saying, Galatianism, if you practice it, it makes you foolish, forgetful. That's what the Apostle Paul says. You're fleshly, you're faithless. It is without foundation in the Scripture. And finally, it will turn you into a false prophet. Why? Because what you tell people about what is necessary to being saved leaves them, listen, under the curse of the law. What you tell them is necessary to being saved leaves them under the curse of the law. Let's see if that's not true. Notice what he says beginning here with verse 10. For as many as are of the works of the law, in other words, if you believe you're going to either get saved or stay saved by keeping the law, as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. If you are still holding out that the law gives you any hope to get in heaven and that your keeping of the law gives you any hope of getting to heaven, you are under the curse, he says. So you see, you never would want to say to anybody, why, I'm not telling, I'm, I'm going to give you, I was saved by grace through faith, but I'm going to tell you, you had to be saved by the law. But let me tell you something, friend. If you move into Galatianism and you start holding up your standard as being the standard that's necessary for people to be saved as opposed to just repenting of sin and trusting in Jesus alone, you are putting people under the curse. That's what he says here. Notice, as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. You see, the, the reason that some people here this evening will not go out with hot hearts and go visiting, for instance, tomorrow night and share your faith in a hot-hearted fashion with others, eager to see them come to know Jesus Christ as, as their Savior, is because you have moved away from the simplicity of the gospel and the fact that when Jesus comes into a person's heart, he revolutionizes that person. Old things become new. That person is a new creature in Christ Jesus, saved out of eternity of hell on their way to heaven from death to life and that Christ will begin to work within him both to will and to do of his good pleasure. You won't go because you feel like there's all this other stuff I've got to tell them they need to do. Listen, what they need to do is trust in Jesus. If I work downtown and someone came to me and said, Brother Tom, what kind of vehicle would you like to to uh, commute back and forth from your house to an office building downtown. What would you think of me if I said, you know what I'd like? I'd like me a big old 18-wheeler rig. I want the longest snooted thing you got. Man, I want something out there that's got me a, a living room and a kitchen and a, a house on the back, and I want you to put me a 60-foot box on that thing. 
I want the biggest, and I'm going to drive from my house down to an office building in downtown Oklahoma City every day, and I'm going to get in that rush hour track. You'd say, Tom, you are an absolute idiot. What you need for the rush hour traffic is something small, quick, easy to park, and economical. Do you know what? Some, of, some people, and maybe some of you here this evening, have taken the simple gospel and you have made a semi out of it. Just, just telling people, you know, well, if you're really saved, you'll do this, and if you're really saved, you'll do this, and if you're really saved, you'll do this, and all those things that you'd say to do are things that, that you happen to be doing right now, and so they've become your standard for what is necessary for a person who's saved. It is necessary to repent of sin and to trust in Jesus alone for salvation. When Christ comes in, he will make a, he'll make a law keeper out of you. He will change your heart. But never say that you can get saved by keeping the law or that you have to stay saved by keeping the law. What does he say here? As many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that continues not in all things which are written in the book of the law. In other words, what he's saying here, listen, you don't get the option of picking your laws. If you're going to come the law way, you know what's interesting? And, and, and a lot of us have a lot of familiarity with this. If you're going to come the law way by the works of the flesh, saying that you can get saved by your good works, if you come that way, you've got to come the whole law way. You can't pick just the laws you like. Because notice what he says here. Cursed is everyone that continues not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. In other words, if you don't do every one of them, you might as well not do any of them. That's what he's saying. He's showing the futility of the law. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident, for the just shall live by faith. Now, now what is your preacher trying to say to you? Well, to sum it up, there are two or three things that are on my heart. In the first place, I believe the book of Galatians must be for us because I cannot tell you how much response there has been. Even this morning, I've had people stop me and say, Brother Tom, you must have been reading my mail. Brother Tom, Galatians was, when you describe, I, I'm a Galatians Christian. Because isn't it true? You see, we have a hunger in this church family. We have a hunger to go on with God. And so because of that, we do what the Scripture says. We take ourselves to places where we can hear about the things of God. You bring yourself to a worship service to hear this preacher and to a Bible class to hear a teacher. And you go to seminars and institutes and conferences and you hear people speak about the things of God. And that is so important, the Apostle Paul gave himself to going around and confirming and building up people in their faith. And we are admonished in the Scripture, get ourselves where there is the preaching and the teaching of the Word of God. We are supposed to do that. We ought to hear people who speak, who, who make lists and tell us that, that these things are right and that we ought to practice these things and we ought to live the kind of life that the, and, and who have, that the Scripture tells us and have a remarkable faculty for, for, for dividing up the Scripture into bite-sized pieces and feeding it to us. But listen, friend, 
While all of that is so crucial to our growth, it is not the way you got saved. You got saved by repenting of your sins and trusting in Jesus. Brother Tom, why do you seem so agitated about this? Because as Christians go on in maturity, they have a tendency to take the things that they now enjoy and do and apply them as the standard for everybody else. And they begin saying, if you don't enjoy the things I enjoy, and if you don't do the things that I do, you must not be a Christian. You know who said that? The Judaizers in the Galatian church. These Galatian churches were having a Holy Ghost runaway. They were in revival. They were loving God till the Judaizers showed up. And the Judaizers said, you know, it's great that you've experienced the grace of God, but let us tell you what all the Jewish people need to do. We're going to start with circumcision, and we're going to go on from there. And Peter had been just sort of a country preacher. He had showed up, and he was eating, you know, ham and cheese sandwiches and pork rinds. And, and having a great time till the Judaizers show up. And it blew their mind because Peter then separated himself and he only ate the Jewish food. And they got so confused. And dear friends, what I'm trying to say is this. All of us need to be on a pilgrimage. We should want to be as holy men and women of God. We ought to be, want to be as right with God as we can be. We want to study the Bible, every principle we find in the Bible. We want to apply to our lives. We ought to be people of discipline. We ought to be people who love God with all our hearts. We ought to be people who share our faith fervently. Our faith ought to affect our pocketbook. It ought to affect our finances. It ought to affect our family. Our faith should affect all of that. But under heaven, give other people room to grow. Let them hammer out their life as God by the Holy Spirit works with them where they are. He didn't find them where he found you. He's got, a tomato plant doesn't grow like a grapevine. A pine tree doesn't grow like an oak tree. A cucumber doesn't grow the same way that, that beans grow. But I want to tell you something, friend. They're all a part of growing things. And when I look across this congregation, I see a garden of God, but there is not one plant that's exactly like the other. And every plant has its own special needs, its own special desires, its own special characteristics. We can't look down our nose and say, because they're not a First Southern, they're not of us. Or because they haven't gone to this course, they don't understand the life. Or because they don't believe my principles, they must not even be saved. They may be saved and you may not be. If you believe you're saved by your works, you're not. So what am I saying? There's a great law in the Scriptures called the law of love. The law of love. And you just take a person who's had a touch of Jesus, and that person meets another person who's had a touch from Jesus, and they ought to be known for their love for one another. Now, there's a second thing I want to say. 
I want to say that I haven't seen a whole lot of this. But I'm preaching like this because I don't want to. That's right. I've been places where Galatians was the book. And I don't want to be there. And you don't want it. Legalism, hard, narrow, judgmental, caustic, critical, demanding. You don't want it. And so your preacher is just saying to you, stay out of it. <laughs> just stay out of it. Come to God by grace through faith. Devour the Bible, the Old and the New Testament. Learn all that you can about it. Realize that a transformed heart will want to eat the Word of God, digest the Word of God. It is God's Word to you, every bit of it. It is all good for you. But just remember that some people got saved in Rome, and some people got saved under persecution. Some people got saved under good times and some under bad times. God reached some in a bar. He reaches some in their Sunday school classroom where they hardly have ever missed. But everybody who is reached by God and comes to him has to come one way, by grace, through faith, in Jesus, plus nothing. And when your life is transformed, you'll want to live out that life by loving the people who are around you and doing what you can to build them up in the most holy faith. Do you understand what your preacher is preaching about tonight? Amen? All right. Let's pray together. And while heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I'm going to ask our counselors to come. And I'm going to ask our praise singers to come. I'd like for us to Sing that invitation hymn, Brother Don, in just a few moments. There's room at the cross for you. Is that in the hymn book? I believe it is. Yeah, there's room at the cross for you. And I believe that if you have thought that somehow you're going to get good favor with God by the works of your flesh, that you would want to come and realize that the only way you're going to get close to him is to come to the cross where Jesus, who died on the cross for your sins and rose from the grave three days later, where he paid for your sins, come to the living Savior. And I would encourage you to come, and you just may want to say to these, one of these counselors, I want to trust Jesus. Maybe you thought you're one of those people who's always saved, because, and you always, and I talk to people all the time, well, I've always been a relatively good person, or I've always gone to church, or I've always done this or that or the other. But dear friend, if you've never repented of sin, and trusted in Jesus alone, you need to make that decision tonight. And I would urge you to come and find one of these counselors and say, look, I want to make that simple decision to trust Christ as my Savior. Jesus plus nothing. It could be that you slip into some of these other heresies. You believe that your behavior doesn't amount to anything to God when God by His Holy Spirit wants to bring conviction to your heart and say your behavior is an evidence of where you stand with me. Look at your life, you realize your behavior telegraphs some pretty serious things about your standing. It's telegraphing to you that you're not really saved. You're not saved by your works. But you see, your works are an evidence of whether you are saved. It could be that as you look at your life, you'd have to come to this conclusion, you know, there's never been a time where I repented of my sin. 
I've hung on to it. I've come to church. I've tried to be religious. I've tried to do all kinds of things. I've never really just repented of sin and trusted Jesus. Well, I'd urge you to come and say to a counselor, I want to trust Jesus tonight. I believe there are people here this evening who would say, you know, I, I need to join this church. Maybe you're here tonight as a family. Maybe you're here by yourself. Maybe you're a university student or a single. Or maybe you just come to visit once. Maybe you've been here many times. But God's spoken to your heart, and you say, you know, this is the kind of church I want to be a part of. I, I, I want to be where Christ is honored, the Bible is preached and taught, and where reaching others for Jesus is important. Well, I would encourage you. Maybe you're only going to be in town three months. Well, join this church. Come under the watch care of this fellowship. Come find a counselor and say, look, I want to plant my life here. Don't just be floating around out there, accountable to no one. You know, there are people like that, and they love that because the last thing they like is any authority in their life. But don't be like that. Just say, I, I, I need accountability. I need to be in a local church. And I would urge you to come find a counselor and say, look, I want to join this church. It could be that since the day you've trusted Christ as your Savior, you've, you've never confessed Him through the symbol of baptism. That picture that shows other people that you have died to an old life and risen to walk in newness of life. Come tell a counselor, I want to be baptized. I'm a Christian, but since the day I got saved, I haven't been baptized. I want to be. And it could be that you've joined our church recently, maybe by baptism, by transfer of letter. We've never introduced you to your church family. Maybe tonight uh, you were baptized or some other service. Maybe you joined by letter from some church. We've never introduced you. I'm going to ask you folks to come on the very first word of the very first stanza and just be seated over to my left, to your right there in that area marked for new members. We want to introduce you to your church family. What a wonderful opportunity this will be. I'm going to pray. We're going to stand. You find your way to the altar. It could be that you say, I see Galatianism in my life. And I see how important it is to be a person of discipline, a person who lives a holy life, separated life. But I also see that I don't do that to get in or to stay in good standing with God. Those are the expressions of a heart, a heart of a saved person, a heart of a person who loves Jesus. I'd urge you to come kneel here at this altar and say, Lord, I want to live in freedom. How to Employ and Enjoy Your Freedom in Christ is the title of this series from Galatians. Now, I want to live in freedom.